Thanks, Dan. I feel kind of like Stephen Colbert running over here in front of the panel. Um, Thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, I'm just so glad we're back here in Public Square. Uh, this is where the City Club belongs, out in public again. This is wonderful. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm Kip Bowen. I'm partner in charge of the Cleveland office of uh, the business law firm Thompson Hine. Thompson Hine was founded here in Cleveland, um, actually in 1911, a year before the City Club, believe it or not. Um, and we now have eight offices in eight cities with over 700 employees. Uh, we're proud of our history here in, in Cleveland, and we're proud of the City Club, which has been providing independent free speech forums like this for over a century. We're especially excited to support today's forum, at which this panel will discuss the post-pandemic plan and priorities to rebuild our communities. Very important topic, very timely. On behalf of Thompson Hine, thank you to our speakers. Thank you, speakers, for being here on this hot July day. And thank you to all of you for helping us kick off this great public series. Thanks for being here and welcome. Thank you, Kip. Thanks, Kip. And thank you again, Thompson High. And I also want to mention the Cleveland Foundation is a supporter of these programs as well. And for the final two, they will be, um, they'll be convening post-forum conversations uh, related to, as part of their common ground uh, convenings. So please uh, you know, be sticking around and, and thinking about that as well. A um, couple of quick logistical items. Second half of the program is devoted to audience Q&A. I want to just dispense with the formalities and suggest that the first question is going to go to Michael Patterson because, God damn it, he earned it. Um, <laughs> and, um, and after that, if you have a question, there's a few ways you can do that. We'll have this, this wireless handheld mic. If you're still feeling a little, um, a little queasy in social distancing about um, getting close to places where other people have been breathing, I get it. So you can text your question to 330-541-5794 at any point during the program, or you can tweet your question as well. We'll mention that again later. So three ways to get your question in, ask it yourself, text it to us and we'll ask it for you, or tweet it at us and we'll ask it for you. Finally, I would just like to say many of you have been supporting the City Club over these last 16 months. It was a difficult 16 months to be sure. We're so glad to be back. Um, if you're thinking about it and you're thinking, wow, City Club is super important, convening civic dialogue is super important, I need to get around to, to supporting this effort, you can do it from your phone. If you text, uh, if you just text do the word donate to 216-616-CLUB, that's 216-616-2582, and I'm talking to you on Facebook Live right now, um, then you can, uh, they'll, it'll walk you through a few quick quick items to make your donation. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to become a member of the City Club as well, um, please feel free to do that as well. You can do that at our website, cityclub.org. You guys are amazing. Thanks for doing this. I want to introduce now Rick Jackson, longtime colleague, um, not, a, not a newcomer to the stage. And Rick is going to be our moderator today. Rick's with Ideastream, as all of you know. Please give him a round of applause as he kicks off the forum. Thank you, everybody. Feels good to do that for the first time in a while. Good afternoon. Welcome to the City Club of Cleveland and Public Square. It's been two years, folks. Hello, Facebook Live. It's been two years since we sat on this grass and had this discussion. I'm Rick Jackson, as he said, senior host producer with Ideastream Public Media. My pleasure to introduce the first forum in a four-part series here in Public Square. Great title, How to Spend a Billion Dollars, the American Rescue Plan Act and Cuyahoga County. 
Now, the American Rescue Plan Act was passed in March of 2021. The U.S. Department of the Treasury will deliver $350 billion in aid across the country. Objectives of this aid are to support COVID-19 response efforts to replace lost revenue for state, local, territorial, and tribal governments, to support economic stabilization for households and for businesses, and lastly, to address systemic public health issues and economic challenges worsened by the recent pandemic. Now, there's roughly a billion dollars in federal aid coming to various governments in and around Cuyahoga County. This is considered a once-in-a-lifetime cash infusion for many Ohio communities. Many have pointed out this generates an opportunity to address long-standing and long-deferred problems. So the question we're here to address is how do you spend a billion dollars wisely and equitably? Joining me on stage to answer this question and more, Tanya Manis, CEO and President at Cleveland Neighborhood Progress. Good afternoon to you. Ken Saratz, Community Development Outreach Manager at the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. Good afternoon to you. Got a comment on the bow tie. That's just too good. Thank you. <laughs> and William Tarter, Jr., Associate of Public Policy and External Affairs at the Center for Community Solutions. Well, good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. He's got his own cheering section. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start the questioning with Will because I want you to define what it is we're talking about for everyone. I gave a quick overview there. What exactly is the American Rescue Plan Act, its purpose, how do we spend it, and then tell us about the different pots of cash. And just note, this is not the CARES Act. We're talking different cash. That's right. Uh, thanks so much for uh, the introduction, and uh, thank you all for being here this afternoon. So the American Rescue Plan Act was a piece of legislation that was passed uh, back in March, and the total act was $1.9 trillion. And of that $1.9 trillion, $350 billion was allocated for states uh, and municipalities across the country. Um, what that means in Cuyahoga County, Cuyahoga County will be receiving about $239 million. The city of Cleveland will be receiving a little over $500 million, about $511. And so this, these dollars are one-time dollars that will be um, allocated in two what they call tranches, or two kind of buckets. The first half uh, for Cuyahoga County uh, was received back in June of this year, and the second half will be received in June of next year. And so these uh, present, as, as you said, a once-in-a-generation really opportunity to really address some of the systemic issues that have been plaguing our society. So the CARES Act was really focused on the pandemic specifically and how to help municipalities respond to the pandemic. The American Rescue Plan, as Act, American Rescue Plan Act is what happens next. How do we address some of the systemic, systemic barriers, people who had uh, disadvantaged populations before the pandemic that um, could be addressed after the pandemic and build back even better. We've said American Rescue Plan Act eight times now, so we can just call it ARPA. ARPA is fine, <laughs> okay. yeah. That works, hope it works for all of you. Um, Tanya, this is the opportunity to make significant investment in homes and in businesses. Cleveland Neighborhood Progress issued a letter to the city about the ARPA plan, very specific about where and how we could spend this money. You partnered with community development corporations around the entire city to create this. It's a vast list. Talk to me first about how it was devised. We'll get into specifics later. Okay, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, as we said, um, really understood that to understand what we should best use uh, for these dollars, we needed to tap the community development corporations in our city. They're on the front lines, they're talking to residents, and they experienced um, the real challenges that our neighborhoods faced. As Will said, uh, historic, uh, racism, um, redlining, it just 
COVID just exacerbated all of the issues that our neighborhoods were already facing. And so we brought the CDC executive directors together um, several months ago when we heard that the dollars were coming, and um, we helped formulate suggestions uh, that went into that, as you said, expansive letter uh, to the mayor's office. And we really uh, looked at certain buckets um, that most made sense, um, knowing that this is, and we keep saying it, the opportunity to make catalytic catalytic investments in our neighborhoods in a way that we won't have that opportunity again. And so I can go into sort of the buckets and how we looked at it, but I'll call that. We will. Thank you. Ken, to that end, community particip participation, valuable. We want to take the opportunity to hear from people, from everybody. The county actually is mandated to do so. We also need to educate people, though, what's mandated with this money, who has oversight, why it can't cover every single project we'd like to see it cover. Sure. Yeah, so what with the ARPA money, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, when I first think about it, it's, it's pretty broad uses. Um, so we can address a lot of the issues that uh, Will and Tanya were just talking about, some of these systemic issues that we have plagued our community for a long time. And we have time. Um, so these dollars come, as Will said, in a couple of different payments. Um, they don't have to be committed until 2024, um, and I think spent until 2026. Um, and then, you know, the other opportunity really is to address uh, the inequity um, and really have an inclusive um, uh, approach to it. But on the flip side of that, right, it, it can't cover everything. You know, it's broad, but it, it, we can't fix everything. Um, and, and in search of time, like, there's still immediate needs that we need to address right now. Um, and it won't have this, uh, won't be able to address equity and inclusion unless we bring people to the table. Um, and I think that there are uh, opportunities I've seen across our district and here within the county um, uh, as well, where those, those steps are being taken to, um, to really have a collaborative approach to the use of these dollars so that they're more impactful. One of the things that we know will happen is before we get to spend where we want to spend, we spend where we have to spend. Talk to me about revenue shortfalls, Ken. What has to be plugged back in? Great, great question. Um, as we look around um, just our, our district, and the Cleveland Fed covers all of Ohio, western Pennsylvania, eastern Kentucky, and a, and a little sliver of the panhandle of West Virginia, um, there's, there's three main ways that we're hearing about this uh, use of this money. One is to do that, just what you just said, plug revenue shortfalls. Uh, I think that's going to be a common approach that you see um, everywhere, including here. You need to do that first. The second is really about stabilization. So that's uh, making sure you know we're not losing any more small business, uh, making sure people are still housed, um, people uh, uh, health issues are, are, are being addressed. And then the third is really the opportunity to invest and really look towards the future. Um, so I, I think you'll see uh, Cleveland Cuyahoga County as well as many communities um, across the state really kind of uh, looking at it in those three different ways. Tanya, we were talking last week about the one big elephant in the room and that's the fact that there's a real fear from our cities that they may lose a lot of income tax because the state didn't mandate that people have to pay their cities where they work as opposed to where they're working. And you said that could suck up a big portion of this funding. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I, you know, the, the budget that was passed last week, uh, the governor didn't veto the provision that would allow people to appeal uh, the fact that their income tax is paid in a city they weren't currently working in. Uh, it does, though, allow till December of 20. 
2021 uh, for employers to uh, not have to divide out those funds. So uh, we are cautiously optimistic that, uh, that not too many people will appeal, but it does make it difficult to think about the investment side, right? And that's really what um, we need and want our communities to do. But we're here to be hopeful, right? <laughs> so talk to me about that letter, <clears throat> excuse me, that we were <clears throat> letter we referenced earlier. Lots of ideas about helping the masses, lots of ideas about helping the disenfranchised, lots of ideas about helping the individual small business owners. How resolute are you that this appeal gets a groundswell of support from the city council, from the mayor's office? Yeah. Well, you know, we feel uh, pretty optimistic about the support for what's in that letter, not just because uh, because we heard from the community development corporations and putting it together, but we're also very closely in alignment with a lot of other organizations. So CHN Housing Partners, Enterprise Community Partners, uh, we really have aligned um, our priorities. And while there's a lot in there, we really try to put um, the recommendations into manageable buckets and be very responsive to the things that the city and county have already prioritized themselves. Um, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of alignment and it's encouraging to see the city and county um, asking partners to provide input and looking to coordinate across uh, nonprofit entities and the public sector, as well as our financial partners. Well, one of the things we don't want to see is infighting. We want to see a kind of cohesive effort, city, county, various governments working together. Yes, absolutely, and I think that that's where the public input component of this is going to be so important. So the Treasury guidance actually specifically encourages municipalities, cities, counties to develop public outreach methods, uh, to have what they call a public-facing website that uh, people can see uh, how these dollars are being spent. So every quarter, uh, cities and counties will be mandated to report how they're spending these dollars. Every year, you're going to have an, uh, what they call recovery plan uh, performance report, which every year will, will document what's the impact that these dollars have had on local communities. So cities and counties will be mandated to provide data on how they've responded to these issues. So it's gonna be really important for organizations, especially when you're dealing with issues that cut across geographic barriers to work together and kind of understand um, how these issues uh, interrelate. When we're talking about transportation issues, we're talking about broadband, we're talking about sewer, these things uh, cut across geographic lines. So making sure that organizations are aware of where they're investing these dollars uh, will be of critical importance uh, to transparency on how these dollars get spent. Advantages are supposed to go to the historically disadvantaged and to communities that were hit hardest by the COVID-19 pandemic. We're thinking Latino communities, black communities certainly that suffered. Do you agree with a lot of what's on the CNP list or is that just a launching point or have they missed something vital that we need to add to that list? Well, the whole premise of the American Rescue Plan was to say, uh, how did the pandemic affect communities? And black communities, Hispanic communities, Native American populations had higher rates of hospitalization, higher rates of sickness, higher rates of death disproportionately. And so there were issues from a social determinants of health standpoint that were present before the pandemic that the pandemic made worse. So when we're talking about recovery from the pandemic. You wanna make sure that you, you do get support to communities that need it, but that you also address some of the issues that were present before the pandemic that were made uh, 
aware or made worse during the pandemic. You know, a lot of things, the advocates we talk about in health and human services, these issues were present before the pandemic. Broadband access was an issue before the pandemic. Lead was an issue before the pandemic. The pandemic may have exacerbated these issues, may have highlighted the issues, um, but these are issues that as a society we can grapple with and maybe do something about with these infusion of dollars. So what does recovery look like? Are we going back to status quo? Or are we looking to go above and beyond where we started? Well, I think, um, I don't think that there is a desire to go back to the status quo because a lot As of a issues- minimum. Right, exactly. When we look at uh, broadband accessibility, for example, um, it, that was important for older adults in terms of broadband um, uh, accessibility and preventing social isolation because we're an aging city, an aging county, and an aging state, and an aging country. Um, for uh, students who need access to uh, computers, that was an issue before the pandemic. But now there's like, okay, what are we going to do to uh, close these disparities that exist in our society and to try and make sure that people have support that they need so as, they as our society recovers from the pandemic, we don't return back to the way it was before. Tanya, same idea. We don't want to have a ceiling, but where do we put the floor? Yeah, I mean, I guess the floor, <laughs> I don't know that we want to talk about a floor, right? I mean, I think that's why we have this incredible investment opportunity, and the goal really is to um, catalyze growth and development through this. and. Um, invest in neighborhoods that traditionally haven't seen the investment so they don't fall farther behind. I think what the pandemic really highlighted is everybody was told to go shelter in place. And unfortunately, throughout the city of Cleveland and some of our first suburbs, uh, that sheltering place was actually more dangerous um, than probably the virus itself. And it was really helpful for people who thankfully don't live in those conditions to start to understand how many of our children and our families do. But I think that just understanding that and addressing the housing issues we have today doesn't really get Cleveland where it needs to be. Right, this is an opportunity for us to invest where traditionally federal money hasn't been able to be invested. In our middle neighborhoods throughout the city of Cleveland and our first suburbs that are on the edge that often um, you really need that rehab of home and a higher appraisal value to attract investment. Uh, we can do that with these funds because of the flexibility with the treasury dollars. Same thing with our main streets and some of the larger catalytic projects that um, are like this, right? Like we need to be doing the public squares, Shaker Square, Blanket Mills, right? The big projects that um, often are so difficult to fund in a normal operating budget of a city or a county. Kind of appropriate, the song playing across the street behind us is End of the Innocence, because that may be where we are, Ken. We look at these federal dollars, here's an opportunity. That, that's exactly right. Um, and I, I just wanted to just, you know, say again, we, we have this great opportunity in front of us to really bring a more uh, inclusive recovery back um, and include more people um, in, in, in the economy, um, quite frankly. Um, it's, it's, it's one of our, our mandates at the Fed is ma maximum employment. Um, think about some of the barriers that keep um, uh, low-income people out, out. You know, I think they've been exacerbated throughout this um, this pandemic. But we can work at childcare. We can we can work at fixing public transportation. Um, you know, things uh, uh, training, job training, uh, making it accessible to everyone. Um, those are the types of things that we really need to do is invest not just in in, in things but people. Um, and I think uh, if we do that, uh, we'll, we'll we'll go far beyond the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, we had mentioned earlier that there are other governments that get money, uh, 47 million for Lakewood, 39 for Cleveland Heights, 27 for Parma. You worked with the uh, county. 
accounting. It's $240 million. You oversaw investment. You have a firm grasp. Do we need a commission that oversees everything, or do we leave Parma to Parma, leave heights to heights? Um, so uh, the, the way that uh, a lot of federal funding already works, that we have what's called entitlement communities um, and non-entitlement communities. With, um, so the, the entitlement communities are usually 50,000 or higher, so larger communities. And they usually have the resources and capacity to be able to kind of manage themselves. And the, and the smaller um, communities uh, really work with the county collaboratively. I, I worked with Tanya when she was at Shaker, um, for example. Um, what, what's great um, is that there was a meeting last week where the, the, the county um, brought together all kinds of uh, other municipalities and, and other um, public agencies, which I think is really important because now we can talk about really leveraging all the, the existing pools of money as well as this additional money and, and prioritize it. Everyone has a plan. NOACA has a plan. Um, the county has a plan. Um, each city has a plan. How do we align those? Stack the stack the dollars um, so that we can actually um, truly address them and make make impact. So um, the fact that they had Team Neo and Jobs Ohio, the port, the sewer district there, um, they're taking the right steps. And, they, and even a public um, comment placed on their website. Those are all good starts to to really get um, input. We had made mention that you can text us or tweet us questions, and in the second half of the program, of course, we get to your public questions. Some people aren't waiting, Will. Got one directed at you. It says, uh, Will mentioned that Treasury guidelines specifically state recovery from impact of COVID, perhaps instead of a general wish list. Wants you to elaborate. Uh, you mentioned that Treasury guidelines specifically state recovery from the impact of COVID instead of a general wish list. He wanted you to elaborate on that. Oh, sure. So when we talk about some of the issues that were uh, present from the pandemic that affected um, organizations and institutions, some of them had to make modifications to their buildings uh, to uh, to promote public health and public safety. And those are permanent. And those are right. And those are things that uh, are included in the guidance. And we're talking about uh, organizations that responded or workers that continue to work during the pandemic. Like we talk about essential workers. There were people who showed up every day, even in the middle of the pandemic. So we talk about uh, you know, premium pay and making sure that people are supported uh, who continue to work during the pandemic. So those are the, some of the things that we talk about when we're mentioning them. There's one thing I wanna go back to a little bit. When, when we're talking about uh, organizations and institutions and, and getting feedback from those organizations, that is very, very important. And I want to emphasize that that's really important. But I think also it's important for the public to be involved in this process. The county did set up a public input uh, webpage where people can provide ideas and um, an input of their own. And I think that that is going to be important to raising awareness of issues that were experienced by the community that might not be at the front burner of institutions. It might not be something that they even realize. It might be a blind spot that organizations didn't even know existed, but the general public saw and experienced it. You need that perspective and that vantage point in addition to the institutional kind of players that are in your community. So you want to make sure that the public is involved in this process as well. Tanya, we had talked way back in the beginning of the pandemic how bad it could be. And in some ways, Cuyahoga County didn't get hit as bad as we thought. We don't have a health representative up here. But when you talk to CDCs, are they concerned that we need more small clinics, more places for people to go, more health outlets in the communities? Is that something they might like to see here? 
You know, I don't know that that specifically came up from a purely health perspective, but I think what every CDC saw and when you talked about frontline workers, right? Our community development corporations became frontline workers. Uh, they moved from thinking about new development to delivering food, to delivering PPE, to uh, making sure that uh, students could get onto the internet. And so what I think is, and you, we saw this with the distribution of, um, of uh, the um, vaccine. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say of the virus, which would have been totally oh, the wrong thing to say. Uh, with the distribution of the vaccine, is that there were m there were much higher rates um, when the clinics were at a recreation center. You know, Famico's foundation was driving their van around and picking up residents, taking uh, because that level of trust and that level of community engagement is really important. And I think that's a really important learning. And Will really touched on this from. Um, from this whole process is that, you know, we were surprised that small businesses weren't applying for help. You know, we would hear, well, there's money at the state or there's PPP funds and people aren't applying for them. Well, you really need a bridge. You need a trusted person who you um, feel comfortable with, who will walk you through that application. And that's true whether it's small business support or health or anything else. And I hope we don't lose sight of that, right? That's often seen as the soft side of this. But it really is about people. And um, where I think we're all really concerned is those, that frontline support is really burnt out. And I, I think it's really critical that we acknowledge that and that we support the organizations that have never stopped working with our communities. Thank you. Ken, you talked about the idea that the Fed here covers parts of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Kentucky. Obviously, Cleveland's the big dog here. We're the leader, Cuyahoga County. But do you look at other Federal Reserve branches around the country? Do you see things that we could learn from them, from a Philadelphia or a Denver, and bring here? Uh, yeah, I, I think the approach is uh, something that is, it, it still needs to be specific to the specific area, right? So, but I, but I think the key is the approach, right? So it's, I think it's aligning those plans, right? That's what we want to do. Again, every one of these groups has a plan. There are already good things happening, like you think here, um, uh, lead safe uh, work here. Um, we have some great um, small business uh, resources like through the Urban League, like ECDI, and um, the right to counsel, um, really trying to help people. So there's things already happening. I think um, making sure that we preserve those things that work. Um, and then it's, it's uh, really, uh, the focus though is really uh, on uh, rectifying the inequities that are within the community. So we have the time now. We, you know, with the CARES Act money, we had to react again. It was just get the money out and, and really meet basic needs. We didn't have time to plan and think about how do we address some of the systemic issues. Now we have the time, we have the resources. That is the key. How do we do things different so we don't end up with the status quo. Um, and so that's what I think we're seeing all across the country um, in places that are, are, are really thinking through it or are, are thinking of addressing those long-term systemic issues. And unless we do that here, um, we will unfortunately end up. Even though we're we still in chapter one, chapter two, Tanya, is CNP hearing from people saying this is where it needs to go? Or are you getting that groundswell of support already? Oh, you're, you're laughing, so apparently yes. Well, yes, I mean, again, because we, and I want to give the, you know, the city of Cleveland, CDCs, the county, right, we're, 
on the front lines and we have seen the gaps, right? We've always known the things we need to do, but there's never been money to do those things. And so the, the thought that we could actually look at a healthy home, not just come in and do the lead remediation and fix the porch, but know that the roof is caving in. Um, I, it sounds so basic, but that idea that we could address um, things more holistically, if we could look at um, how do you really um, bring a commercial corridor back, create the kind of environment that um, people want to live in. Um, you know, we, we have the list, and now I think the, the really nice thing is that level of coordination um, between organizations and, and departments and different agencies is really, there's a lot of interest in doing that because they're funds to plan and a little bit of time. I, I, I feel like the two years will fly, but there is a little bit of time to really be intentional about what we do. Let me play cynic for a second. Somebody sees you, you just mentioned a roof. Betty Jones gets a new roof. How does that help the community? Well, you really know that block by block, house by house is really how you rebuild a community. Um, you know, if it's one house here and another house um, six blocks over, you're right. It's just helping Betty Jones. But um, we have model block programs where you're really looking at curb appeal. You're fixing those porches, right? You, you feel, right, that, that sense of a place is well taken care of. And um, when you, you know, ultimately this is about private investment. And I, I do think we should talk about that, right? Mm -hmm. Through the pandemic, um, through the uh, protests from last year, uh, there were commitments that were made by institutions, our financial partners across the board. And I think leveraging those dollars as well um, is really important. And really um, that long-term systemic change is gonna come from those private investments um, over time, not just this infusion. Would you like to see that money folded into this so that the projects work in tandem or yeah. just adjacent? No, I mean, I think folded into this. Like, as I was mentioning, probably every neighborhood has a catalytic project where there are, there's private investment that's been committed and there's a gap, right? Every one of those gaps could get filled. Uh, right now, I'm looking at CDC executive directors. Like, yeah, um, if we could fill those gaps and move those projects forward, um, I mean, that's really the beginning of transformational change in a lot of neighborhoods. That anchor, um, old theater, commercial building that just has not been addressed, park that's not been addressed for years. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it has to be an and, not an. Okay. Today we are enjoying this first forum in this year's City Club and Public Square series talking about how to spend a billion dollars. It's federal aid coming to governments here in Cuyahoga County. This is all part of the American Rescue Plan Act, or ARPA. Joining me here on stage, Tanya Manis, CEO and President at Cleveland Neighborhood Progress, Ken Surratt, Community Development Outreach Manager at the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, and William Tarter, Jr., Associate of Public Policy and External Affairs at the Center for Community Solutions. We are about to begin the audience Q&A, and yes, I know who goes first, Mr. Patterson. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, those of you joining us via our live stream. If you have a question here in the square, please, there's a microphone right there center table right up front here you can come to this table our staff members are standing there if you'd like to tweet a question tweet it at the city club and i see some of those already coming in you can also text questions 330-541-5794 that's 330-541-5794 our staff will work it into the program they'll send it to my other phone over here we want to remind you your questions should be brief to the point so we can get to as many of them as possible may i have the first question please Um, has there been plans made to make Cleveland a more welcoming place for immigrants and refugees with this money? 
and part two is, is there plans to reimburse landlords or small-time property owners for losses that they might have incurred during the pandemic? Which part you want, Tanya? Well, I would just say thank you for that question. And uh, Global Cleveland and the Refugee Collaborative have been thrilled that uh, President Biden has um, increased the numbers of refugees that will be allowed in the United States back to um, the previous president's numbers. And um, we need to prepare for that in a really significant way. One of the things we've seen in Cleveland is refugees have typically wanted to live on the near west side because that's where services are and you know people follow their families. But um, it's really difficult now in a positive way because the market's improving in a lot of these neighborhoods to house refugees. And so we are working um, and looking at where um, we can welcome residents into different communities in Cleveland and ensure they have the transportation then to get to services and jobs and their mm -hmm. families. Well, we talk about community solutions. He mentioned the idea of landlords getting restitution because of how much they lost over the past 15, 16 months. Is that something that this money could be applied to do? I'm not necessarily an expert on housing, so I, I can't necessarily speak to that, but there are organizations that are involved in that particular issue that could speak to the specifics of that. Um, I can say that uh, when organizations uh, are talking about the harm that they, um, that they experience as a result of the pandemic, that's something that the Treasury guidance encourages uh, local institutions to collect, to say like how, not just how were these money spent, what organizations got these dollars, but what was the harm that they experienced that these dollars are helping to address. And so that's one of the things that's going to be very important regardless of the, the topic is for uh, that information to be collected to be able to demonstrate what was the harm or issue that the pandemic brought about that was addressed with these ARPA dollars. Ken. Yeah, I was just going to mention that. There, what's great about ARPA, there, there were a bunch of buckets of money. I think we were specifically here talking about state and local government, but there are also housing dollars there that um, can be used for rental assistance, mortgage assistance, um, and um, CHN Housing Partners here locally has been great um, a partner, I think, to both the city and county in helping get those dollars doled out to those in need. And Enterprise has also uh, been very involved in housing issues too, so I'm sure they'll, yes. they'll be up to this. Thank you. Next question. Good afternoon. My name is Kate Warren. I am a candidate for Cleveland City Council in Ward 13. And I think one of the things the pandemic has highlighted for our community is income inequality. And as we think about spending these ARPA dollars, um, how can we ensure transparency and accountability and making sure that the jobs that are developed with these dollars, be it through contractors or other non-governmental agencies, are paying folks a living wage and not reinforcing the same kind of disparities that we've seen? Thank you. Tanya, you want to take a crack at that? Sure. I mean, you know, I think one of the things we know is for the most part, people build wealth through their home or through starting a business. And uh, these dollars, um, you know, absolutely are really trying to address intergenerational wealth gaps that have been created by, and then, you know, again, we look, 2008 foreclosure crisis really wiped out wealth and in, um, in the east side neighborhoods, and that's really not come back. Now, I think your question is a little bit more about sort of as small businesses are getting dollars and employing people. Um, the challenge there is most of our small businesses are um, sole proprietors 
or they have one employee. And I think, again, that's been a really important thing for people to understand, that um, supporting those businesses, helping them build capacity so they can hire their second, third, and fourth employee, provide them with health care, right? It, it, but I think we have to be realistic that we have to start small and build from there. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, Cleveland Neighborhood Progress has done through Village Capital is start something called Contractors on the Rise. And what that's really doing is trying to put um, minority contractors to work building and rebuilding our city. And those are great jobs, right? That's, that's really a future where you own and run your own business. But for the most part, we've seen that minority contractors haven't had the, the line of capital, the technical assistance, and support they need to build their business. So it's just one example of, I think, many that we could build on. And can I also mention uh, about the importance of oversight? So um, in the county councils, uh, or I'm sorry, at the county level, you have the uh, county executive's office and the county council. And um, this was just discussed a couple weeks ago at one of the finance committee meetings where uh, the CARES Act process, for the most part, there's a lot of latitude that was given to the executive. And council did ultimately sign off on a lot of the suggestions. There were a couple of things that were, that were modified um, for inclusion's sake. Um, but in this particular case, uh, council will be very involved in that process as well. Uh, both the executive and the council on how these dollars are doled out. So I think that that's one thing, Kate, that is something I'll be watching for and, and the public should watch for as well, uh, to make sure that these dollars are, are earmarked and allocated to communities uh, in an equitable fashion. And I think that's where that transparency, oversight, understanding the process is going to be of critical importance over the, these next three years. Thank you. Next question here. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what worries you most about the design and implementation of this opportunity and how do we ensure that we don't screw this up? Well, I'd like to hear from everybody on that. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, how do we not screw this up? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it, it, I think it starts at the beginning, right? It's, it truly is, and I think this addresses some of Kate's question too, is getting that public input first about what are the priorities of the community. Um, so if we start there, create those plans, align those other plans that, that we had, um, you know, there's, there's, there's possibilities we could do it. Um, will, will, will all these dollars be spent perfectly? I, I can't tell you that. Um, but uh, I, I think having the good, good plan up front um, that's informed by the, by the public is, is the starting point for that. So I think my biggest concern is that we don't have the workforce to carry this out today, right? Um, so much of what we need to do is um, focused on infrastructure, on homes, on contractors, and um, processes and procedures at Cleveland City Hall, at the county building, all of that administration. Um, as I mentioned before, a lot of those folks are really burnt out from the last 18 months. And, um, and then we just really don't have people trained to do all of this work. So it's a tremendous opportunity, right? To put people to work, to get them the training they need. But we um, you know, have to ride the bicycle while we're building it and that's kind of terrifying. Um, and then the other thing is I don't think we can let the perfect be the enemy of the good because um, again, the time will be gone really quickly and I, I worry as I'm seeing some of the thinking through this of like, we can't mess this up, but at the same time, we need to just act, right? There's certain things that are right in front of us that make really good sense that we should just start doing. Um, and it makes me a little nervous that we haven't started doing yet. And it's, it is early, and I am glad that both county and city council will be reviewing this work this time, but it's worrisome. 
Well, before you answer, <clears throat> let me follow up. You just said we don't have the workers. In that voluminous letter we talked about that you sent to City Hall before, it talks about spending money to attract people to move into the city. How, do, how would that work? Is that a good use of this money? Yeah, so um, what we're talking about there, again, is many of our neighborhoods, um, or things we call you know, middle neighborhoods, right? West Park, Old Brooklyn, Lee Harvard, um, Collinwood. These are really great neighborhoods um, where we need to make them neighborhoods of choice, right? We need people to look at them and say, we really believe this is the right place for us to raise our family. And that is a good use of money because that's income tax and property tax that long term, as well as, of course, community coming. And But that comes from having dollars for those community development corporations to buy properties before investors pick them up and take what could have been um, homes that were owned by residents into rental properties that are driven into the ground. It means putting money into main streets because people don't want to live in neighborhoods where they can't walk to a coffee shop or where there isn't a library, right? It just, you know, we really need to look at the fact that um, if we want our neighborhoods to attract new residents, they need to be um, amenity rich. So it is the marketing and community development feel of it, but it's really that bricks and mortar as well that we need to invest in. And you want to attract people to West Park, not from Cadell, but from River, from Strongsville. Yeah, and from Chicago and New York City after they've you know, lived in a tiny apartment um, through COVID and now they think, well, I could come home and buy a house and um, live near my family, which I think is, is Ken and me, right? <laughs> so. How do we not screw it up, Will? Well, okay. <laughs> so there's a couple of thoughts here. Um, one is um, wearing my community solutions hat, recognizing I'm you know, re representing the organization. One thing that we, we talk about, um, John Collette, our executive director, wrote an op-ed in the Cleveland.com uh, that appeared on Sunday. Um, and he mentioned about the importance of not spending this, these dollars too quickly. And that's something that um, other organizations like Greater Ohio have also uh, talked about. And so doing too much too fast uh, is one of our organizational concerns. Um, I would add kind of my own personal opinion is that um, tangible impact on people's lives is something that I am very concerned about, that people should be able to see, experience how these dollars have made a difference in their life. So when we're talking about the uh, refundable earned income tax credit, that is going to be a tangible, um, on July 15th, when people get payments, uh, that's going to address, that's going towards uh, fighting child poverty. These are things that are tangible differences in people's everyday lives. I want these programs, these, these things that gets developed, uh, that, that gets developed, I want people to, to see, feel, experience a difference in their internet connection, uh, a difference in uh, their accessibility to work, when they feel safe at work, whatever the case might be, I want there to be a tangible impact as a result of these dollars. And that's the thing that concerns me the most is that we get caught up in kind of high-level programming and people don't necessarily feel it on every day of their life. One of our texted questions goes to that whole idea of something we can see and put our hands on. It says, there are still 4,000 condemned structures in the city of Cleveland, more than 15,000 abandoned properties. These condemned structures are environmentally toxic, dragging down our economy, creating health hazards. How much support is there to commit significant funding for removing blight through demolition and creating land opportunities for development? Good. I, I just wanted to say, quick. I mean, this is, I think, another example of what I talked about leveraging and stacking dollars, right? In the recent state budget that just passed, there's significant dollars for 
demolition and, and blight removal. So yes, that, that's one path um, forward. But then, you know, is there additional need beyond that, that this, these do the ARPA dollars could be used? Great, but let's, let's use these, um, you know, these restricted funds um, on the purposes in which they have to be used, and then use these ARPA uh, funds to supplement um, and really focus on the priorities that, that we want to do. So yeah, I, I, it, it's something we need to do. We've been doing it for the past, what, 15 years uh, working on it, and we've seen significant progress. And I, I don't, I, everything Ken said I agree with, and it's a place where there's been a lot of partnership, right? The, the county, the city, with the state and the federal government have been dealing with the um, vigors of the foreclosure crisis since 2008. I think the difference here is, and what we're realizing is every time, unfortunately, we tear down a home in Cleveland, um, it is very difficult to build a new home, right? We, um, the appraisal values don't justify the build of that new home. So this is an opportunity to maybe step back for a minute and see how many of those homes, and especially the multi-unit um, apartment structures, four, six, eight units could be rehabbed, could be saved, because that's naturally occurring affordable housing. Sorry, I normally stumble on that. Um, it, when we rehab homes, those are, I mean, we have a plethora of what could be affordable housing in Cleveland if we reinvest in it. It's not to diminish the fact that we do need to demo. And then in our commercial districts where very rightfully the priority has been neighborhoods, um, a tremendous opportunity to demo and then to rehab in the commercial districts and in the industrial areas um, where, you know, that's really where there's some good job opportunities if buildings are rehabbed. When you're saying commercial, you're talking about 1950s built strip districts, that kind of thing? Well, that's an interesting one, right? Um, you really do see an opportunity here, again, kind of in the, the West Parks and the Lee Harvards, where reimagining those strip districts could actually happen. Um, and, um, you know, you, you do see where there's a market that's happening in some of our farther flung suburbs and something that would be wonderful to see um, bringing back those areas. No, I'm good. <laughs> You're good. Okay, next question. Question two, are there uh, plans to use any of these funds to upgrade facilities for individuals experiencing homelessness rather than relying on hotel locations that may generate nimbyism? Who wants to jump in there? Uh, well, it, it's a little bit more challenging because there's not definitive plans yet for these dollars. So these dollars have just come in, and so there's not necessarily plans that have, that have been established yet. But that's one of the things that when we're talking about uh, inclusion and making sure that we're addressing systemic inequalities that are out there, that that's something that uh, could be brought to, to the fore. Um, there was one thing, too, that um, I, I had mentioned about um, a tangible impact on, on people. Right. Um, I also want to make a little bit of a, of a clarification on that, because there's some things like water treatment or um, uh, lead remediation that might not have a tangible impact in the short term. Uh, I'm not sure tangible, but like noticeable in the short right. term. Um, but you're going to see those health improvements over time. And so I just want there to, to be a mix. If you can have, you know, address those long-term issues, but also that people can recognize that these dollars are doing what they said that they were meant to do, and that was to uh, create a more inclusive uh, economy. Tangible doesn't have to mean physical. Correct, exactly. Okay, okay. next question, please. Hi, my name is Pam Dawson, and you talked about having tangible impact. I want to present a specific case of someone who could benefit from that, and what should she do? Um, she is uh, living in a home in, in, the, in the Cleveland area um, near East 100th Street, um, and so 
So she's just living in it, not abandoning, but living in that house. Mm -hmm. Okay. But so what she's, she's trying to do is get her house up to code so she can get the electricity turned back on. Okay. She, she needs a new, um, her, her um, porch is falling down. She needs some things there. Some of the windows have been busted out because people were trying to break into her home. So things like that. How could she, I mean, that would be a tangible impact in her life. <laughs> what could happen for her to make that happen now? Tanya, you were talking about the whole idea yeah. of individual assistance. Right. And so here, you know, one of the things I mentioned is um, CHN, CHN Housing Partners, Enterprise, and um, Cleveland Neighbor of Progress have put together a proposal for the county to review at their request. And the center of that proposal is repair, right? It was what I had mentioned before. Um, that unfortunately today the federal programs are really piecemeal like we can go in and, um, and Remediate the lead in someone's home, but the plumbing isn't working or we fix the I mean It's just what you said, right? So could we actually go in and do everything that needs to be done to a home at one time? And yes, most important are occupied homes, right? We are yeah, absolutely hundred percent starting with repair so people can stay in their homes and we have an aging population in Cleveland with for the most part bathrooms and facilities on second floors, right? An opportunity to make it so that um, people can age in place is a huge priority. But yeah, I would say that is the number one and, and I think something that Cleveland and the county are really interested in moving forward. Well, can't, can't, oh, you hear? No, yeah, I could hear you. You were saying, what should she do right now? And I, I think talk, talk to me after, meaning like what she should do right now, because we can get her connected with people to get help right now. Thank you. Text your questions again, 330-541-5794. Tiffany, you have a question? Yes, my name is Gloria Jones, and I'm concerned about um, the halfway houses. I just got out uh, a week ago, and I just want to know what are y'all going to help do to make them better. We're supposed to be going there to get better, but we have no soap there, no wash, no, no, no stuff that they really, really need. It's just like they're still living in the street and better food. You know, what y'all going to get some of that money to the halfway houses? Uh, I, I think one, um, one area, the, the, the Adams Board, uh, is something, uh, uh, I think, a place where they have a lot of uh, resources um, that support uh, those with any kinds of addiction or mental health um, type issues. So that would probably be a good place to start is uh, our local county Adams Board. Are they a possibility for receiving some of this funding directly? That, that's a great question. I think they're all funded through county so, dollars. Yeah. Will so that's something that, um, that is, I guess it's helpful to include here is that when we're talking about the American Rescue Plan dollars, that's like one bucket of, of federal dollars that are coming in. But at the county level, there have been um, multiple investments in uh, health and human services. So uh, issue 33 was the health and human service levy that passed last year that uh, increased um, the amount of revenue that comes into the county that can go towards uh, health and human service uh, issues. Uh, so uh, the opioid settlement dollars are also uh, county dollars that are, um, that are remaining, there's about $93 million that are left in terms of um, you know, going towards uh, issues related to health and human services in the community. So there's, there's other funding available that's out there in addition to the American Rescue Plan dollars. Um, I will say like there was a decision that was made at the state 
um, on pediatric me uh, behavioral health. So the, the state allocated um, tens of millions of dollars towards uh, pediatric behavioral health because they recognized that the pandemic had an issue on, um, on behavioral health of, of students. And so, you know, we're talking about health and service issues uh, before the pandemic or even during the pandemic. Uh, that is an example of how they're trying to address it. Yeah, one of the things we haven't addressed, something like infant mortality. It's handled in many different ways, many different places. But this money, I think, Tanya, there's some of it that could go into specific health buckets. It's not something I know as much about. But, I mean, really what we're looking at is the social determinants of health, right? And that's everything from um, you generally are looking at health outcomes like infant mortality, and so much of that is the stress that a woman is facing as she is pregnant, right? And that's financial stress, where she's living, um, <laughs> she's layered on and on, right? And so a lot of these funds, I, I, again, I don't know from a pure healthcare perspective, right. but unfortunately what we generally find is infant mortality issues are more about the environment in which a prospective mother is living. That's one of the anomalies, too. Those right. numbers actually improved during the pandemic, yeah. and now that we're out of it, are starting to regress again. Yeah. So needs attention paid. Yes, next question. My question is, how y'all doing today? Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a sole provider. I have my own cleaning contract. Before the COVID hit, I was cleaning eight buildings by myself, me and my grandkids, okay? So now, I had, I don't, I, I like to work. I worked all my life. I had an interview with Anago. Anago want me to pay $5,000 out of my pocket to work. Anago, Janet King, Clean Nut, all them. Why do I have to pay out of my pocket to work and then they take 28% out of your money? Then, on top of that, after you clean these buildings, you don't see your paycheck for three months. Thank you. Not an issue I'm familiar with. I don't know Anico, but is there help for places that do subcontract? Do we know? I, I can't yeah. speak to that. I, I have heard about the issue you're speaking to. I know that there's a lot of support and availability for building of small businesses so that you can be independent through the American Rescue Plan and getting you connected with those independent support so you don't have to work through one of those organizations is definitely something that's supported through the American Rescue Plan. I know we should talk after. Not the kind of thing that can happen today, though. Yeah, unfortunate. <clears throat> Next question, please. Yes, sir. Yeah, hi. Thank you all so much, and welcome back to the City Club. This is Thank great. you. Uh, my question is regarding the timing piece that heard we all say like we have some time we're on first and second base but also time is ticking very quickly um, you know it you know tr truth be told we also talked about a lot of the collaboration going on but there were no details provided regarding collaboration coming from the executive office of 601 East Lakeside uh, and so if they have a, they have a pretty short timeline um, in which to spend the first half of the funds uh, how can we have any confidence that the first $250 million isn't just going to be out the door by September? Did you get that? How can we be confident that we don't? Fritter. I, my understanding, and it's just understanding, is that there will be city council hearings um, on the use of the funds and that um, some of the holdup in moving forward was, what, was to see what happened with the state budget from an income tax perspective. Um, because the first priority of the city is to shore up the city's finances. So um, 
I, that's as much as I have in my crystal ball. <laughs> and when we talk about timing of how these dollars get spent, um, I think it's helpful to know how it's different from the CARES Act funding. So when the CARES Act funding came in, we had until the end of 2020 to spend those dollars. Like they had to be out the door by 2020. Now it ultimately got expended, extended to the end of 2021, but for the most part, there was a sense of urgency to get these dollars out the door. For these dollars in particular, they need to be earmarked by the end of 2024 and spent by the end of 2026. So that's what we mean when we say that there's some more that we have more time that we've had. Now, what that does not necessarily mean is a guarantee that it will be spent that, that quickly. And I think that's where um, participa participation, oversight, transparency is gonna be of critical importance um, in terms of how those dollars get spent, when, where, and the difference that they make. And, and just real quickly, the, the, I, I'm not totally opposed to some of these dollars getting out quickly. <laughs> because there are immediate needs. Um, you know, there's, there's still some health disparities that are out there. We want to keep people housed, like I said before. We want to save whatever small businesses that we can so that they can continue to thrive. So yes, there's going to be some, I think, immediate spending, but it's nice that it was broken up into two payments that you could kind of take care of the immediate needs and then, again, plan for uh, the future as well. Yeah. That's a food assistance. Rental assistance, Food, mortgage rental, assistance. Exactly. All those things need to happen now. When we go back to our example of you know Betty Jones' roof, that's the kind of thing that can happen fast, but something like Irish Town Bend, that's not going to happen a year from now. I mean, it's going to take time. So we need this deadline to be where it is now. Can we spend half the money by deadline one, more the money by deadline two? Does it work that way? Well, I think, um, for example, like Lakewood, they've, um, the mayor has proposed spending $25 million on their water infrastructure. Um, and so that, that's an example where uh, perhaps city government might prioritize a project with the first bucket of money, but perhaps when the second bucket comes this time next year, they will have had time to uh, talk with other organizations uh, and collaborate on, on other issues. So it, it all is uh, dependent on the entity and how they and where they uh, choose to spend the dollars. Okay. Any more audience questions? I've lost Tiffany. Oh, good. No, oh, you're right there. Okay, we're good there. Just checking Twitter. Okay, no more questions there. As we start to close here, best case scenario, Ken, what would you like to see happen in 2021, the six months we have left, and then in 22? Uh, I think it goes to the last comment I said right now. Um, make sure no further harm is done. Um, is, is really uh, a priority. Uh, again, keep people in their houses, make sure that they're safe, um, and then um, and, and make sure that they're employed. So again, save these small businesses, make sure people have a way to uh, earn a living, uh, whether as an entrepreneur or as an employee in, in, in one of these firms. So those, those would be the, the, the priorities I see and, um, and I think we need to focus on right now. Will, where would you run first? Um, well, for me, one of my one of my uh, passions is is infrastructure, um, and broadband uh, and high speed internet is a critical component of that. I think when you're talking about older adults, 28% um, of the county's population will be 60 and over by 2030. Uh, Cleveland has one of the highest concentration of older adults in any other city in the country. So making sure that uh, people have access to high speed internet is, is a critical uh, importance to me. Um, I also think. 
um, empathy uh, for the, the harm and the trauma that's been experienced over the past year and a half uh, that we've experienced as a, as a city, as a, a county, as a state, as a country, I think is going to be really important. So it's, it's recognition of the things that we've lost, recognition of the things that were wrong that um, made the loss greater, and um, collectively prioritizing the things that need to be done in order to try and um, heal. I think that's the part for me that um, as more conceptual in nature is, is something I hope that everyone can rally around with these dollars. Collectively prioritizing isn't something that's always been our strong suit. Are we getting better with the timeline, do you hope? Are we, are we getting better? I think that remains to be seen. I think that that's, that's the question that, I mean, when we look at this pandemic, I think that there were some things that were put in place um, that made accessibility to food faster. Um, and, and there are things that we want to keep that in place. We want to keep that in place even after a pandemic. And, um, but there, I think, is a temptation to go back to the way that things were. And, and to make it more difficult for, for people in the name of, of process and procedure. And that is going backwards. And I think that's the part that um, we have seen some things improve uh, during this pandemic. And it's like, okay, how can we build off of the things that we learned? There were some things that organizations did differently during the pandemic uh, that they're like, if it hadn't have been for this experience, we never would have done that. Um, and it forced people to think outside the box. So can we hold on to that innovative spirit and that spirit of progress? That's an open question. And Tanya, we saw the letter CNP sent to Mayor Jackson, Kevin Kelly, and cohorts at City Hall. It was about one through 30. So I'm not gonna ask you for a top one, but is there some place we need to focus now? Yeah, I mean, I think you started with it, um, really ensuring that no further harm is done and that we shore up the organizations that have been on the front lines and we're gonna continue to need to be effective. For us, I think that's our community development corporations, but their organizations across the board. And then a, a simple thing that I think the city's really struggled with, right, is these really important catalytic neighborhood projects that um, have stalled because of the concerns of the pandemic. And it's, you know, very real. Um, the city filling those gaps at this moment um, so that private projects could move forward and um, we'd start to see that momentum again in our neighborhoods, you know, is a great first start. Tanya, Ken, Will, thank you so much for your input today. Thank you so much. And Appreciate thank you it. for all being here and being back. Today we are in Public Square in downtown Cleveland listening to the first forum in the City Club in Public Square series, How to Spend a Billion Dollars, the American Rescue Plan Act in Cuyahoga County. I love saying that. Support for the City Club in Public Square comes from Thompson Hine and Common Ground. We appreciate your partnership and generous support of our month-long series. You can join them in supporting the City Club's mission by making a contribution online, becoming a member, or texting the word DONATE to 216 616 club that's 216-616-2582 and follow a couple of easy steps to make your donation city club returns july 9th with a virtual friday forum to talk about the 15-minute city you can also join us next tuesday july 13th right here our second forum in our city club and public square series we'll be hosting mark joseph founding director of the national initiative on mixed income communities at the jack joseph and morton mandel school of applied social sciences at case western reserve university he'll be discussing how we can do all the everyday work of anti-racist community building. You can view all of the upcoming forums, by the way, at cityclub.org. That brings us to the end of today's forum. Again, thank you, Tanya, Ken, and Will. Thank you, members and friends of the City Club. This forum is now adjourned. <laughs>